All right. So, uh, fellas, um, thank you for joining us here on this Black Talk Radio uh, Network video stream. Um, we are not going to open it up to the general public. I do have uh, joined with me um, the founder of Time for Awakening Media and one of the co-hosts of Time for Awakening, the radio program. I have Elliot Booker with me out of Philly. And also out of, out of uh, Philly, we got Brother Richard White. Um, what we want to do during this stream or this call is to just reflect on what we heard today. Um, there was history actually made on Black Talk Radio Network today and Time for Awakening Radio, thanks to Brother Elliot and the other people who uh, helped him to organize us to be able to live stream a radio broadcast to you on this call with uh, the African Union Deputy Commissioner. And so I'm still, people still trying to get accustomed uh, to doing this on Zoom. So um, again, my name is Scotty Reed. I'm the founder of the Black Talk Media Project and the Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, Time for Awakening Media founder, Elliot Booker, and his co-host of Time for Awakening Radio Program, Richard White. We're going to discuss the, um, the forum uh, earlier today with the African Union Deputy Commissioner, the Honorable uh, Nee Kwesi Corte. He is the Deputy Chair of the AU Commission. Um, if you have any questions, please type them in the comments section and we may address it if appropriate. Again, we're not going to take any calls or um, allow anyone to join us. I'm still trying to get accustomed to everything. But first, I want to just thank you, Elliot. Um, for streaming everything, you know, to the Black Talk Radio Network that you made history today. I don't think there's ever been a transcontinental forum like that broadcast in any media format because, you know, you had callers sound like calling in from, or I should say participants also from the UK. What was your initial thoughts, uh, Elliot? Uh, listen, I um, I was pleasantly surprised by the interaction with the, uh, the deputy chair, his honesty on a lot of the questions. Um, he didn't dodge any questions, uh, questions he didn't really have an answer for or really couldn't give a good answer for. He let the folks know. And uh, I just thought everything went well. Um, he gave a, a historical overview of a, uh, of a, uh, the, the title, Do Black Lives Matter? He gave a historical overview of uh, what they had experienced and what we have experienced in our action with the, uh, the deputy chair. I'm sorry, you're probably hearing the questions. Um, yeah, you're probably hearing. I'm trying to get us set up um, so that we could share on Facebook and you was getting some feedback from there. So my apologies. Okay. Yeah. Please continue, uh, Elliot. Yeah, but, uh, you know, he gave an historical overview of, uh, of our experience with... Uh, with this issue. Uh, of Black Lives uh, Mattering? Well, yeah, both historically on the continent and in the diaspora. He gave a historical overview of our experience and uh, and why they decided to address this now. He did mention in the question that I asked him that this was a planned strategy. Um, mm -hmm. It what wasn't just a reaction where they went to the UN uh, Human Rights Council to uh, deal with this issue of racism that this is a planned strategy. <clears throat> he didn't go into uh, what the strategy was, and I'm glad that he didn't, you know, 
for media purposes, but he did let us know that this wasn't just a reaction, that this was a planned strategy. Okay. Did you catch that when he had mentioned that? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's you know, that was, that's important that it, it was a, um, it was something planned and it wasn't reaction. Because I have to say, I, uh, in my initial leading up to, I thought that this um, was a reactionary moment or I was going to phrase it. But by mm-hmm. him saying this is something that they're, you know, they're, they're looking at, um, it, 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 it kind of changed that, you know, it, it was helpful. Okay. So when you say reactionary, you mean just doing something because this event took place that went global. So let me just put something out there. Yeah. So right. this this was a part of, I hope, a long-term strategy. Is that what y'all got? And, and when I say strategy, the strategy of connecting uh, Africans in the diaspora, uh, whether we're African-Americans, I know Haiti, we have representative from Haiti was on the call, uh, Jamaicans. Uh, what have you, but opening up a line of communications, which never existed before, you know, all of this technology um, happened. You know, you think about Marcus Garvey and the Negro world and how grand groundbreaking that was as a media publication that was distributed all over the world. But now just think, though, if he had that technology back then. So there's, I'm saying there is no excuse for us not to establish these lines of communication which Malcolm X also encouraged us to do. And he did bring up that, you know, the, the, the point of what I, what I liked about him, you know, um, he, he didn't sugarcoat anything. Mm-hmm. Like for example, um, Ellie, you mentioned about the history. He, he, he did touch on that Africans were, you know, I, since here a lot of times, you know, the discussion about Africans being involved in the, in the in African enslaved trade. You know, he didn't know he didn't kind of create a, a soft thing on that, but he recognized he he contextualized it to show that this was a European initiative that created European wealth. Um, and I think that that's important for us to be able because some people are try to use that as an excuse of why, you know, we shouldn't be making any connections with the continent. Elliot, mm-hmm. any yeah. thoughts on, on what he just mentioned about? Um, the transatlantic slave trade. Yeah, uh, listen, uh, I caught that when he uh, when he was giving a historical overview. He mentioned uh, Richard to kind of uh, piggyback on what you said that uh, Europeans didn't come into the continent mm-hmm. to uh, march people to the shores; that they were brought to the shores. And he uh, said how these things were set up, and some of our people were, uh, you know, were duped into participating in that, whether it was for money. Uh, for for guns, mm-hmm. uh, uh, for for uh, alcohol or whatever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they were involved in this. Mm-hmm. So you know, he didn't uh, try to say that they weren't. He didn't try to uh, to obfuscate and and uh, try to just put it all on Europeans, although they were the the uh, the catalyst behind it all. The consumer demand. Yeah. I mean, it's just like capitalism today. Consumer demand drives the market. If there was for um, stolen labor, um, then, you know, and, and not to not to bring other ethnic groups into this, but when we hear people talk about uh, illegal immigrants in the United States, well, if these business owners wasn't hiring them, there would be no demand for those workers. And, it, it, and that's driving, you know, 
so they cross border uh, migration as these people uh, flee from these countries. So I totally agree that, you know, the Europeans uh, did drive, drive it with their demand for, for uh, unpaid labor, slaves. And I, and I think that, that it's important for, you know, in that discussion that we were having that, that to, to, you know, in the questions that were coming up, as you say, Scotty, people from, you know, um, England who, are, who have repatriated to Gambia, um, people who are in Texas who are preparing to repatriate to the continent that whatever solutions, and this goes to this history, whatever solutions that we're trying to deal, whether it be about visas or, or passport, um, he made it clear that we have to move it from the ground in each country mm -hmm. because of that particular history. I think that it's important to understand that, that when we talk about history, it isn't disconnected to now. You know, because now, not not you know, the 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 circumstances that we have to go through in order to create the policies towards our our mutual interests is because of the transatlantic um, enslavement process. Um, I think we lost your video, but we still had your audio. Um, so we're not going to worry about that, but uh, that could just be my master board. So let, let me give you some of my initial thoughts and what I appreciated. So um, like you all both said that he was very frank and forthcoming um, with his answers to, I would call, call them some tough questions. As y'all just talked about, he didn't try to sidestep, you know, the West African involvement in the transatlantic slave slave trade. And, and you know, y'all made some good points about, and I told people, y'all make Africa sound weak if you think these Europeans just ran up in there and were just snatching people from villages. No, they were not. They probably went no further inland than that coast. You know, um, as they mentioned, one of the historical castles that was one of the points of uh, transportation um, to Brazil um, and to the Americans and to the uh, Caribbeans. And so, you know, I was expecting perhaps um, that some of the participants were going to be very sycophantic because, you know, we seem to have a problem with that Um and I imagine a lot of different groups have problems with sycophants and what have you. But for example, um, yesterday I had made a post. I said, now I wasn't on the list to ask a call, ask a question of the deputy commissioner. But if I was, I would ask him, why did the AU uh, stand down seemingly while the French and the United States, the Obama administration destroyed Libya, which is an AU member state. And it was an AU member state that um, under the leadership of Gaddafi was very pan-African and had done a lot for other nations in Africa. And then the resulting um, open air slave markets of African descended people being preyed upon by, by these jihadist Arab militias that the United States and France use as their boots on the ground. And so, you know, this lady who had been following me on social media for quite some time is an Obama sickle fan. And she was attacking me and basically telling me, well, why you want to bring that up? And what did the AU have to do with this? This was France and the United States. And I'm, I'm looking at this woman like, I don't understand why people enter into alliances or why nations 
enter into alliances like you got NATO, which she blamed for it. Well, NATO is an alliance. If one of them is attacked, then we are supposed to come to their defense, right? And, and so, you know, I appreciated that Libya was brought up. And I appreciate that the deputy commissioner was honest and basically said, we got to do better. We have work to do mm. instead of sidestepping it. Your, your thoughts, guys? Uh, no. Go ahead, Bridget. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, listen, I agree, Scotty. He, um, when somebody asked that question in reference to Libya, and the United States uh, being involved. He talked about invo Obama's involvement in what happened there. But he also was honest when he talked about the 54 countries of the African Union, uh, the, the political differences between some of them that stopped their unified response to what went on. Um, he said it's a work in progress, that, uh, what, they're, what they're trying to do. And he let people know that it's some, it, without saying it, that is some political regimes going on in the continent that's, that's uh, has passed, passed its time and that they need to be removed. But they can only do it by us participating, us communicating. He, he stressed that the lines of communication need to be open. And see, that's one of the things that uh, European countries, uh, white supremacy, white hegemony has stopped. Uh, among blacks on the continent and blacks in the diaspora. They have broken the lines of communication to the point where some blacks don't even want to talk to other black people. And see, that plays into, that That makes them happy when they see this stuff happening. But he said it is on several occasions that the lines of communication need to be open between us. That's the only way we're going to uh, make headway in this problem. And, 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 and the two thoughts that came, you know, as you brought that up, Scotty, the point he did and, and the term, I'm going to use it the term because he mentioned it's about you know, uh, power, you know, because of that, what you mentioned, Elliot, as far as the, the disunity of those 54 countries, they don't have the power to be able to exert themselves in a manner to deal with it. And I think that's, well, that's what I uh, took away from that. Yeah. That, yeah. That, yeah. I agree. You know, and, 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 and he being honest about that, and, and again, I want to um, tie that to that historical point because those countries that you mentioned that um, are whole, sitting on a sitting on their hands, that's just like those um, African ethnic nations that were participating, you know, like in the trade. They were they're doing it for their own self interest is what I'm trying to say. Yes. So they, the question about unif unifying is diff difficult. But I think, yeah, I want to uh, emphasize in this point, as I see, too, as, you know, to that point that he made that it was in dealing with the violence and, and Floyd, that it was intentional and strategic. You know, the continent has a 2063, I believe it is, 2063 plan. Mm -hmm. So by 2063, their goal is to be a unified continent. Now, mm -hmm. we're in 2020. You know, so that when he says a work in progress, that's the goal. And you talk about strategy, strategic intent. That's the goal that they And so all these things that we're bringing up, and that's why, Scotty, I think that you're 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 correct. Utilizing this um, platform to where we can communicate intercontinentally. You know, because it was Africans from all over. They even brought up about Africans in Papua New Guinea. 
Yes, yes, and I really appreciated that too because I hadn't thought about it. And you know, someone on the call made the point. Okay, we understand and we appreciate your honesty in your position in this global world dominated by the United States and other Western nations. And they said, though, we understand that, but you could be speaking out more strongly and and using your voice in unison with other voices, you know, but don't, I, I don't want people to get me wrong. A lot of us, and of course, the white media, uh, corporate media, uh, which I call the fourth estate of the government because they work hand in hand, um, but they don't be informing us here in the diaspora about what's going on mm-hmm. uh, in the in these UN human rights uh, meetings and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you just had um, um, the UN a couple of years ago uh, say the United States put out a statement after they did a study saying the United States owe reparations. You know, a lot of people don't know that and they think and, and they think that we've just been forgotten. But that's because we don't get that information Make from it. all the going ons exactly. that's happening in the UN. And I would say that the African nations have been the main driver in those UN actions as it relates to the diaspora, including reparations. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um it, it's come it's it it was it was obviously clear to anybody that heard him talking, Scotty, and then Richard, that um, when he mentioned about, he mentioned about the politicians here, black Mm -hmm. politicians. Mm -hmm. He mentioned the uh, NAACP. But he said, listen, the man's a diplomat. He said it needs to be organizations, new organizations to step forward to be able to uh, unify the people. So I, listen, Richard, I don't know what you got from that, but I understood clearly what I think that the message he was trying to get across. That, uh, yeah. some of these Richard, are- Richard, would you agree that he might've been alluding to gatekeepers? Oh yeah, def- definitely. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I think that, you know, I think that came up in the context of, of the discussion, you know, when a person raised about um, Haiti, and Haiti not being able to have a seat in the sixth in the sixth region or the sixth district as it's called, right? Um, but I think it was was it Morocco or it was another um, yeah, northern Africa, Morocco, yeah, yeah, northern African country with with its atrocities in relationship to um, sub-Saharan Africans were able to get a, a seat. So the, the point of 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 the the question of how do we get representation to bring to the AU, the African Union, you know, concerns when we don't have a platform within the AU. And then the, the, the discussion centering around, well, what about us, like in the United States of America, who is not a nation state? How do we get there? And he, he was he was honest, like that, that creates another difficulty because the people that they're used to um, lobbying for the US government is organizations like the NAACP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, all, we all saw them uh, take Nancy Pelosi to Africa. Y'all saw that fiasco, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, but they don't, they represent, they don't represent African, 
enslaved Africans in the diaspora, they represent the United States of America and the policies of the United States of America. And that's a distinction. And we wouldn't want them. And I don't think, and I'm being protected, I would, I would, I would, it would hurt my heart if those Negroes got a representative seat, even if they didn't get the vote, vote on the sixth district representing us in the diaspora who's saying, you know, even what he was speaking to, that racism, structural racism, and the brutality that we're experiencing mm-hmm. is an American American policy initiative that Africa is experiencing from American foreign policy. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, you know, but that's the distinction of when Elliot, I think when he said about having different organizations, mm-hmm. different, you know, you know, coming to the table. You know, that's you you brought up a very good point because as soon as I heard the NAACP name mentioned, I started shaking my head. I was like, nope, <laughs> nope, nope, nope. No offense to the various state chapters or even county chapters, because I have come across some of those local leaders who are very radical and very about, you know, our liberation, but they don't control the national. I would even say the same thing about Black Lives Matter, who I definitely um, don't want, don't approve of the agenda put out by their national. But I have seen local chapters out there putting in work, you know, down here in the South in uh, Baltimore, how they confronted. No, that was the Boston chapter that confronted Hillary Clinton on, you know, her ties to private prisons and what have you. But that means we got work to do. Yeah. You know, um, the U the UN um, sent a, a group over here to do an investigation. I don't know if it was tied. Yeah, it was tied to reparations. I don't know if you guys remember, but they went to different cities within the United States. Yeah, and, and, and had went down to Louds County, and then right, and right. Mm-hmm. Right. right, and it was represented by local, you know, grassroots organizations, and mm-hmm. not some national, you know, organization and what have you. But we do still need to unite these grassroots organizations. And I don't believe in reinventing the wheel. And we already have an organization like that in in COBRA. Even if in in COBRA is focused mostly on reparations, they still can be a vehicle uh, for us to be representatives to Africa, you 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 guys understand what I'm saying? What are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's their historical origin. Yeah, yeah I agree because they've they've been doing the work. Um, historically, they've been doing the work. In fact, that World Conference on Racism in 2001 that the United States refused to send representation to, they were there. Uh, right. Members of December 12th was there. Members of the Nation of Islam and some Ma- of Malcolm X grassroots movement exactly. There. And some of those policies that they came up with help other members on the continent and in the diaspora start really pushing for reparations. So it was them that was the catalyst behind a lot of these things that you're seeing now. And then and a lot of them only acknowledge this. And I'm talking about the uh, uh, people that's involved in the reparations fight, Hillary Beckles and, and some of the others uh, or, on the European continent that's involved in this fight. They acknowledge the work that has been done here by historically uh, 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 grounded groups that have been fighting for reparations. And you're right. They and, were, you know, and, and, 
And that's why, and, and when the discussion about history came up in the discussion with the um, commissioner, it's important for us to be clear about even that history because this whole thing of us going to the UN, Scotty, you know, as far as um, I call displaced Africans in, in, in America, I mean, we have to go to, we look at when Paul Robeson and Du Bois, um, they went to the UN on the notion of we charge genocide, right? Yes. That was in the 50s. Right. And then the uh, African Union resolution in 64 condemning racial discrimination in the United States. And then uh, you, you mentioned, you know, uh, Elliot, as far as ni 1992. But then in 1994, the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. And then he brought up when, on the reparation question specifically, he said that the AU did put a, a, a policy. Yeah on the floor in the AU. There's one thing as far as the, the United Nations, but the AU has a policy as it deals with reparation and uh, in, in, in relationship to the diaspora. You know what I mean? So um, that's another um, good key point for us to understand that there is a, you know, that this possible continental nation state will have our back. Because there was some other people who was raising the question about, I mean, they just came out about the Lord of London and, um, you know, offering their apology and whatever, but speaking to reparations in England. Mm -hmm. So the issue of reparations is, 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 is a African global concern, you know. So I want to touch and, on and, something very important that was brought up. You mentioned, I believe it was the sister from the U.K., um, who had mentioned, or it might have been a brother, but um, mentioned that the taxpayers in the UK just got through uh, paying the sl the slavers and their descendants for ending slavery in the eight, what was it, 1830 something. Right, right. And, and so here you have victims who have been paying taxes, you know, to reparations, not to the victims themselves, but to the ones who were, were guilty of grave human rights crimes. And that was just backwards. But I was just thinking, though, you know, and, and this didn't come up, but I'm just thinking towards the future. And again, you know, the deputy commissioner was very forthright and upfront about they got a lot of work to do, saying some of the nations don't even trade with each other. I know. You know, and but I could see, for example, on an issue of reparations, let's say, you know, the African Union comes together, they come up with a unified currency, just like the euro has one, which we know uh, was in part the reason why the United States and France attacked Libya, because Gaddafi was pushing that African uh, currency, um, uh, which would have been number one. It would have been backed by gold and not this fiat paper currency. They had to take them out. But I was thinking, you know, once the AU kind of progresses, gets their act together, that they should be taxing these European countries. Oh, you want to buy some minerals? Okay, well, here's a reparations tax on top of that. Oh, you want to do business in Africa? Here's a reparations tax and be putting this in the fund to pay out reparations. What do you guys think? <laughs> Listen, all of those suggestions are good. And uh, it's part of some of the solutions that he was talking about. Uh, um, he acknowledged that uh, several of the callers and people that was asking questions in the chat room, that a lot of these things are good things for discussion. He was going to take some of the suggestions back. 
but he also stressed that the line of communications need to stay open. Uh, I'm, that's why I'm my hats off to you, Scotty, with the Black Talk Radio Network, because listen, it just shows the need for what you're doing and what you have done. The lines of our communication need to be open. We can't depend on a lot of these with uh, CNN and MSNBC. We get misinformation from these. Two. They're, they're not any communications that's in our benefit. We need open lines of communication with the continent to get real news, not just doctored news, not propaganda, not uh, quote unquote fake news. But we need to get real information from all of these people so we can really see what's going on and make proper judgments. Mm. And it really emphasized how much we, you know, to the point that was raised earlier, um, how much internal organizing we have to do. Because, Scotty, I really like that um, plan. And that's one of the reasons why we need to have a seat or at least be able to have a place to where those of us in the diaspora can be able to suggest policies to the AU that works for all of our best interests. You know, because it's, it's, it's one thing bringing it up as ideal, but we have to be able to bring it up as a policy initiative coming from us and our experience. Mm-hmm. And and it's a win-win for everybody. Right. Um, as we get ready to wrap it up, I want to touch upon one issue. And this is a conversation that uh, me and Elliot um, have had uh, ourselves uh, privately. But I want to speak to a problem that I see especially on social media um, with some of our people. Okay, now, Elliot, I told you I have no plans on leaving North Carolina in the land that the ancestors, my ancestors, my family ancestors have carved out for me. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I can understand, you know, less than 2% of African-Americans even own any land. So if I don't own anything and not invested in this land, I can understand somebody wanting to up and leave. But a lot of those people don't up and leave because they need that reparations to make that to make that move, you know. Um, But he it was brought up in the call that just because everybody doesn't go there to live doesn't mean that we can't all practice Pan-Africanism and work with one in one another and what have you. And I think that's very important, you know, as I see uh, guys who are being antagonistic uh, towards us Africans here in America uh, who who don't want to uproot and leave our ancestors' bones here and what have you. And so they approach us in an antagonistic way and say, oh, it's something wrong with you. You brainwashed and, and all this and that kind of stuff. And I don't think that that's constructive. I can support you wanting your own nation, but why start a nation when you got a continent with a bunch of nations? Why not go over there like some of them have asked and was brought up to go over there and help, you know, build up Africa. Um, We can't wait on the United States to agree to setting aside four states. And again, if that's your passion, that's what you're working on. I'm not going to belittle that. Mm -hmm. I will support you by, you know, interviewing you about it, allowing you to speak to our audiences and whatnot. But we need not be antagonistic just because all of us don't want to go to Africa. I would, I would, be happy to travel to Africa and help them build a digital radio 
you know, network or infrastructure, which is a lot cheaper than trying to build terrestrial stations or whatnot. But I'm still going to come back here, you know. Um, but so what are you guys' thoughts on, on, on that, how we could foster more unity among different groups of us who have different ideals about our place in this world? Well, Richard, well, go ahead, go ahead, Ellie. Listen, I agree with you, Scotty. Uh, the, uh, it was a young uh, brother on the, on, uh, that was addressing the uh, deputy chair. And it escapes me, and I'm sorry, his name and the organization that he represented. When he said that um, that he was a, he had got Nigerian citizenship, but he still had the U.S. citizenship. Did you catch that, Richard? Yeah, yeah. Um, that he, oh man, man, his name goes. But yeah, I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. That he had both, and see that. Listen, I agree with you, Scotty. Everybody's not going to want to leave the United States. Uh, uh, that's real. I, listen, when we came here, when our ancestors was forced here, nobody wanted to be here. But 400 years later, you got a segment of our people that would want to stay here. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying, and, and, I, and I think that what was coming out of a lot of the conversation, is that pathways need to be cemented. Right now, you can see some pathways being made. But the uh, deputy chair was honest, saying that... Uh, it's a work in progress. Pathways need to be cemented. So any of our people that want to come home can do that. If they want to build a life there, can do that. Listen, I might have a land here or a business or whatever, but my children, I'm, if I'm honest with myself, I know that that way might not be promised for my children, being the system that we live under. Mm -hmm. So if it's better for them to go somewhere else, to start a new life, to start fresh, without the burdens of uh, white hegemony, so-called white supremacy, racism, things like that. That's what I would want for my children. So I want that way that they can build their life elsewhere to at least be cemented by some people that look like us. Okay. Richard, your thoughts? And you know, and you know Scotty, um, as a reaction, because I'm at the point now, we have to have, and, and I'm saying we, because you, you framed it as the discussion that we're having amongst ourselves, those of us in North America, that some of us are being Pan-African and some of us are considering ourselves American. Some of us are, you know, considering ourselves nationalists, you know, wanting um, um, territory uh, of our own. We have to have the political maturity to say that it's okay. Because what I'm looking for, those who are American, and I can see that, your foreign policy as African descendants you should have. You should be projecting a foreign policy that benefits Africa. Just you can be American, but you shouldn't be promoting a foreign policy that is destructive to a continent and a people that you historically come from. That only makes sense. Right. If you you got a territory, you want a territory of five states, then you and and you see and you self-identify yourself as an African, a new African. Then you should in your and your governance should have a foreign policy that supports not only foreign policy, a trade relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's a, for those who have it, a trade relationship, because that, having that trade relationship can affect the people that are here. And those who want to repatriate, those, you know, us who want to do that, then we know that we can continue to have linkages right. with those here 
because that assisting us helping those here because of the system that we're in, obviously, and that's where his, you know, the slogan of Black Lives Matter, and I, I'm only, you know, I, I divorce it as you did earlier from the organization and the central and all that. But the, the, the point of we have to create a relationship that is better for our people than what we are in right now. Right. And the continent is promising to that. So if each group not look at each other, but look at their foreign policy, then we can maybe be scrutinizing our foreign policy as it relates to how it mutually benefits each other compared to, well, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing what I'm doing. Mm. That's my thought. Yeah, you know, just to tie it off, um, again, that lady, and I, it's a shame I had to block her, but look, I have to look out for my mental health. And if you're bringing all this stress and negative energy to me, then, you know, it, it, it might be best, like Neely Fuller Jr. say, no contact, no conflict, you know. Um, but when she, to me, she wasn't even getting that. Obama himself said that attacking Libya was a mistake. But then for her to attack Gaddafi and and even attack me personally, that just shows, you know, a lack of political maturity, as I think you used that word, Richard. And, and Malcolm X even talked about our political maturity. You know, I, I'm thinking about the shame that I felt. Well, I didn't feel, feel it. I guess I felt it for because she didn't have no shame when one of Dr. King's uh, daughters, who's a reverend, uh, when they had that 50th anniversary um uh, event happened in Washington, D.C. to mark that historic march, and she stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, a white supremacist, uh, and talking about let freedom ring in Libya as the administration um, with Obama in attendance was raining down bombs. And so, you know, again, we need political education classes like the Black Panther had. And then sometimes we just got to agree to disagree. And no, because we not going to get everybody. You can't save everybody mentally or physically. And we just going to have to accept that and get with like-minded people. So if um, Richard, and then I'm going to come to you, uh, Elliot, your final thoughts. That this moment um, provided us, you know, and, and we have to give a, a shout out. And I know, Elliot, you, you, you can do it better because you um, made the, the connection. You're the reason why. Uh, uh, B.B. Toomey, um, you know, really um, asked for Time for Awakening and Black Talk Radio to be a part of this, as you say, Scotty, this historical moment where, right, we can have this transcontinental, uh, honest, you know, uh, maybe even uncomfortable conversation, you know, with a real um, diplomat, you know, um, ordinary people doing extraordinary things, right? Um, that, you know, this, this, this is a moment where we can be able to really, um, really feel, think, and believe that we can have this consciousness of victory. And I think that this, you know, this, uh, we, sh we should continue to try to build on this opportunity of having a consciousness of victory because we all will become winners in the end. Thank you, Richard. Elliot? Um, again, uh, listen, I want to thank... Uh, Brother Kwajo, Dr. Kambon of Abib Tumi for arranging this uh, session that we had in this uh, historic moment where an African diplomat that's a standing diplomat in standing can be heard 
addressing situations here that are pertinent to our people here. Uh, it shows that uh, that we're closer together than what we might believe. It shows that we still have some work to do. It also shows the need for us to keep the lines of communication open. Um, I like what he said in, in kind of closing. Uh, Dr. Eric Anachinabora Aquayo was on the program with us, I don't know, about four or five months ago. Mm -hmm. And when somebody asked a question about her, he said that that was one of the big mistakes that the African Union did. And it was up to him that situation would be rectified. So um, that just shows that uh, we need to keep an open mind. We need to keep that same forgiveness that we are ready to offer Europeans. We need to keep that same for line of forgiveness open to our people. Because if our people acknowledge that they made mistakes and was involved in something, got caught up in something foolish that other people had started, we need to keep that same forgiveness that we're ready to offer other people to our own. Because the future basically is with our people. I mean, we can see that clearly. We, we can see that other nations are rallying around their own. Even Europeans are rallying around, rallying around their own people to try to salvage anything uh, uh, that helps bolster this system that we live under. So we got, to, uh, we got to have a nationalist mentality. We got to do the same things. We got to help our children because uh, they're, they're our future. And uh, we got to build some type of uh, pathways for them to be successful. And um, again, uh, what we did today, we're going to continue to do that. I know you're going to continue to keep the lines of communication open, Scotty, and bringing on guests and, and, and talking subjects, difficult subjects that we need to talk about. We need to have these conversations and we can't let other people direct the narratives. Mm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, in closing, I want to um, wish both of you brothers a happy Father's Day into all the fire. I ain't talking about sperm don donors. I'm talking <laughs> no. about real fathers out there. Here you so, go. Here you go. Happy Father's Day to you both. All right. Got to it. You too. All right. Y'all stay safe. Peace, Peace and blessings. All right.